Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Sam Kahn uh, has been great to join us as much as he has. We appreciate him. He was on with us last week on Thursday. And he, of course, uh, does a lot of coverage for Texas A&M and college football for TheAthletic.com. Sam, thank you very much. So... Uh, is this going to be the big name that all the donors can sit around and drink a scotch with and excite? Are they going to get somebody that actually can win and do it right at A&M? <laughs> that's, that's the $77 million question, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I think they're going to cast a wide net. Um, and and I, I got the sense, listening to Ross Bjork, the athletic director, talk on Sunday, it sounds like part of the reason why they made the decision when they did was, of course, the transfer portal and early signing day timing, but also the market really hadn't gotten kick-started. We hadn't had any coaches change for performance reasons at this point, Michigan State and Northwestern being the only ones open before yesterday. And so a gym, uh, Texas A&M has a chance to kind of survey the landscape and, and, and kind of cast a wide net here. And so I think they're going to do that, uh, which is smart. I, I don't. This is not going to be like the last search where – they zeroed on on Jumbo from the start, and that's going to be it. I think you're, you're going to see a lot of different names get involved with this thing, um, and it's a lot, a lot of them we're familiar with. Obviously, you you know, I'm sure we all heard Mike Elko, who was a former defense coordinator at A&M, who's now the head coach at Duke, is probably somebody to keep an eye on in this one. Jeff Trailer at UTSA, of course, is probably a name to keep an eye on in this one. And then uh, beyond that, you, it'll be interesting to see, can they are they going to kick the tires on Dan Lanning at Oregon, and, and how does the playoff race, impact the availability of somebody like that or somebody like a Mike Norvell or, uh, you know, with this Lance Leipold get involved in this. It's, there, there's a lot of different ways this can go. And I do truly think that this is a start from scratch search and about as wide open as I can remember, at least in the time that I've uh, been covering a Is one of the key factors being able to keep this roster intact and then look they've got i'm sure they've got nil people in their collective making sure that nobody makes a transfer portal decision until the the head coach is made by assuring them of their finances but that would seem to me to be a huge deal to to excite the roster absolutely and because that that is the hardest part of the championship equation is acquiring talent and a&m has done that and say what you want about Jimbo Fisher. One thing he could do is recruit. And he did that really well. And you watch that roster and that team and what they did Saturday night against Mississippi State. They didn't do it frequently enough, which is why Jimbo is not the coach anymore. But, buddy, there are dudes everywhere on that roster. Like, they are stacked with talent. And so the more of those guys they can keep, the more attractive that job is for whoever wants it because then it, it allows you to win quicker. Because I think I don't think this is a big rebuild. This is not a team that is in the gutter. This is just a team that I think needs a little bit more organization, a little bit more efficiency, 
and somebody to put guys in the right spot and let them be athletes, let them be great players, which is what a lot of these guys are. So keeping the roster intact is paramount. Now, are you going to rush the search, you know, in a week or, or, you know, eight, nine, ten days just for that reason? Probably not. And, like, again, if, if you're shooting for the moon and some of these guys who are in the playoff hunt, you're going to have to wait until some of them are out of it probably. But it's a tricky equation because the transfer portal opens in early December. Of course, right now, since they made the head coaching change, there's a 30-day window for all those players to jump in in the next 30 days. So they technically can – one of them already jumped in on Sunday. So that is already in motion. So I think speed is of the essence, but not in sacrificing the right candidate. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see how those dynamics play and how that factors into all this. But I do think uh, the, the roster talent and key in as much of it as possible is really, really important in this equation for Texas A&M. Sam, how do you think people look back on the Jimbo Fisher tenure at Texas A&M? I think it's just a lot of disappointment and unfulfilled expectations. I mean, when we think back to that meeting in 2018 when John Sharp, the chancellor, gave Jimbo Fisher the undated plaque with a national championship on it. And, of course, it's never going to end up getting filled, at least not by Jimbo Fisher. So uh, this was a program that, when it hired a national championship-winning coach in order to bring them into that conversation, they really only flirted with it one time, and that was in 2020. And they really weren't in the championship conversation because they lost that early week two game to Alabama by, by a couple touchdowns. But they did flirt with getting into the playoff that year. And so you felt like it was on the cusp of it. And then from then on, what we've seen is a regression, even though they were continuously able to stack talent and get top 100 recruits year after year after year, the results did not follow. You're looking at a program that has a, ever since that 2020 season and Jimbo signed that extension that following off season, they have a losing record against SEC teams. They have a losing record against Power 5 teams. They've lost seven straight one-score games. They've lost nine straight road games. They haven't won a road game, a true road game, in two years. October 2021 was the last time they won a road game. So I think Jimbo's tenure is going to be remembered as one where you could get all the talent and you just couldn't maximize it and couldn't do anything with it. And, and it's, it's a massive disappointment because, like I said at the top, A&M did the hardest thing that you can that you can do when trying to achieve greatness is acquire all the talent. That's the hardest thing to do, and they did that, but they couldn't get the results to follow, and that's ultimately why Jimbo Fisher is not the coach anymore. Sam, is it true that no matter if he does get another job, he gets to keep everything, nothing is taken away? There's no, like, okay, you get $50 million or $5 million a year. And do you feel like he will coach next year? That is correct. He There is no mitigation duty in his contract. So they, whatever job he takes, A&M has to pay the full buyout regardless. And so there's no offsetting salary. So not, not the best contract from a Texas A&M standpoint to put themselves in that position. But – they did, and, and they're going to have to pay for it. So uh, to, at least the one thing is to their benefit is they don't have to pay it all right now. They have eight years to pay it off. Uh, so they're, they're going to give them a lump sum within 60 days of $19 million. And then 60 days after that, they'll start annual payments of about seven-plus mil for the next eight years. So uh, do I think he's going to coach next year? I don't know. Uh, I, I, I had said this earlier to somebody. I do know he loves ball. And – 
I can't imagine this being the end for him. I, I, I think we'll see him resurface somewhere at some point, whether that's this next season. I don't know. I think it depends on where his emotions are at. Uh, I, I would imagine this probably shakes him because he has not – he's had a lot of success as a head coach. This is not a position that he's accustomed to being in. And I can imagine it's probably shaking him a little bit, and it's probably going to take some time to process this and figure out what he's going to do next. Um, do I see him jumping right back into it? I guess if I had a gut feeling, I would say yeah, because I, he, he loves ball. He loves to do this. He loves going going to work every day and, and practicing and, you know, coaching up a team and all that stuff. So if he does, I don't, I mean, I don't know where that could end up being. I mean, I'm certainly, I would imagine there are some programs that would be interested in having him, but, but, but I, I don't know how he's processing this personally at this time. So that, that dynamic I think is, is one to keep in mind to figure out whether or not he's going to be coaching this year. Sam, does it surprise you a little bit that this is a guy who came, he's got, two of the the greatest intersecting coaching trees in the history of coaching trees in Bobby Bowden and Nick Saban that he is on. And both of those guys, what they excelled at was letting the coordinators coordinate and being the CEO to end all CEOs. Why couldn't he do that? Why didn't he learn that from them, especially when the arrow pointed directly to that this season as that's what you need to do? I think it's just pride. I think it's, and he loves to do it. I asked him, I think it was two years ago when he was the Texas High School Coach Association. This was before they had made a change in the coordinator and, and that he, before he turned over play call. And then I asked him if he ever envisioned not being the play caller and, and not doing it. And he said, yeah, at some point, maybe it could happen. He goes, but not right now. And he said, I still love the ball. I still love doing it. He still loved being involved in it every day. And I think so that passion for it is one thing. And I think the pride of he, he won a national championship as the offensive game planner and primary play caller in 2013 with, with Florida State and, and Jameis Winston. So I can understand why, even though you've seen other people do it a different way and succeed, he succeeded at the highest level, and he was at the mountaintop in college football doing it that way. So I can see why he would say, I want it doing this way. I'm going to keep doing it this way. And the only reason and the only the only time they ended up making a change was when it became crystal clear that things were not working under him. And, and there were so many other aspects of the program that were starting to suffer because he had spent so much time on the game planning and the play calling. And something had to change, and they did. And and Harry Robert Petrino, and obviously, it I think it yielded some improvement. There are there is some improvement in that offense, but clearly not enough. And uh, I, but I, I think it comes back to that he loved to do it, and I think there's a little bit of pride. And I think just like a lot of coaches, not just him, a lot of a lot of coaches, ego plays a lot into this. And and I'm sure with Jimbo, that played into it as well. It, it, there's a I'm sure he had a point to prove. It's like, well, you know, I can still do this, and I won a championship doing this, and I'm going to keep doing it, and we're going to win this way. But uh, the game has changed a lot in 10 years, and I just he pro- I don't think he probably changed quick enough with it. Sam, we got to just – I mean, I don't even know if knows the right word, but Elijah Robinson was here for just a cup of coffee with Matt Rule for one season before A&M came calling, and he's been there ever since. 
uh, the one year in Waco back in 2017. I've uh, been following along, keeping tabs, and obviously an important part of, of Jimbo Fisher's staff. And then obviously now named the interim coach. But just how uh, much of a trajectory are we talking with Elijah Robinson as a coach in college football? It seems obviously he's important on the recruiting side of things, and the players love him uh, enough to be named the interim. But uh, how much of a rising star is he in this business, you think? Oh, big time. Uh, he is well-respected. I actually talked to somebody yesterday who said uh, in this interim period right now with a little bit of chaos that making him the interim coach is the best thing that A&M could have done in this period, especially when it comes to trying to keep uh, roster together because the players and everybody in that locker room has so much respect for him. Uh, he is a rising star. He's, you know, obviously he's gotten a lot of promotions and raises and, and, and title uh, improvements from, you know, from Fisher because of his work and in order to keep him there because there's, you know, other opportunities that he could have taken. Uh, and you, I mean, it's not just him. I mean, Matt Rule, I know he's worked with him, had, had a lot of good things to say about him earlier today. Um, he's a great recruiter as well. He's a great defensive line coach. You see, I mean, you watch how those guys have played this year. My goodness. I mean, that, we were watch, watching them uh, get after it on Saturday against Mississippi State. And there, if there's something that has not been wrong with this team this year uh, that has functioned at a peak optimal level, it's that defensive line. It's it's one of the best in college football. And, and Elijah Robinson deserves a lot of credit for that. I think he's, he's a smart guy. I think he, he's got a really good pulse on his players and building relationships with them. He builds great relationships with them and with the families in recruiting. Um, yeah, I think at some point he's going to be a head coach down the road, and this is going to be a really great experience for him these next six weeks, uh, leading A&M into the end of the season, into the bowl game. Uh, and I think it's going to make him all the more attractive whether he, it, you know, whether it's, a, I don't know if it would be a head coaching job after this season somewhere or if he wants to be a defensive coordinator. Uh, before he takes a head coaching job, but he's going to have a lot of options, and uh, A and M is lucky to have him on that side. Sam, last thing for me: uh, Will this hire? Will this have to wait through the process of the season and conference championships, or how do you say this? Uh, and even the heck, the the playoff goes into late January. How does this play out, in your opinion? Yeah, I don't think I can imagine them waiting that long uh, to the end of the playoff. I think it, 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 this is something that I would imagine would be done at the latest by early December. Uh, you know, if, if, they, if, if it's one of the guys who's in the playoff chase, I'm going to have to probably wait a little bit of that out. But, uh, but I think – and obviously it depends on the candidate, obviously, and, and what the fate of their season is. But I, I can't imagine this extending that long. They're the reason they got the start they did and did the time that they did was so they could get out in front of this because what you don't want is you don't want it lingering too long because it's, the portal is open right now for the players. And then when it opens up for everybody on December 4th, I think it is, uh, you know, the longer you wait, the the more risk you are at, at the roster falling apart. So I think, uh, I think they're going to try to make this efficient and thorough, but, but relatively quick. So I, I don't think we're going to be dragging on and talking about, and I'm not hiring a coach in late December or early January. Yeah, Sam, you said earlier they're going to cast a wide net, but then you all, they also have to be pretty quick. You don't want to wind up the – I always think about the post-Steve Spurrier situation at Florida where when Spurrier left, they hit like zeroed in on these like candidates they were never going to get, and then they wound up with Ron Zook, which then eventually they wound up with Urban Meyer, which worked out for them. But you don't want to be like, hey, we want Dan Campbell or Dan Lanning or Mike Norvell <laughs> and have all three of those guys tell you no, and then you're like, oh, well, who's, the, who's their Ron Zook? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I that's why I said that. that's why I think it's going to be because I don't think it's just going to be all 
for the moon candidates. I think you're going to have some guys who, who are not necessarily as highly regarded as that, that are going to be, Hey, uh, you know, it, it's gotta be, and it's, again, it's gotta be a fit for A&M and I, and, and there are certain qualities and Bjork said it on Sunday, there's certain qualities they're looking for. And I think that the program was lacking from the way it operated consistently on a day-to-day basis. And, and I think a lot of the guys are going to be looking at are going to fit that pretty well. And, and like I said, whatever, wherever they land, I don't think this thing is going to take long to get back going. If, if the talent, if they can hold on to a decent amount of talent, I think this thing's going to be able to get turned around pretty quickly. Thank you, Sam. I know you got a lot on your plate. Appreciate your time, Sam Con, the athletic.com, all in the middle of it. The business of uh, Texas A&M moving on from Jimbo Fisher. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.